We are actually very serious about space sustainability. We have recently joined an initiative by EPFL on space sustainability rating. In fact, I'm proud to say that we got the gold rating for our platform one, which was the first commercial shared set that we launched about a year ago. Hey, Space Watchers, this is Space Cafe Radio, your channel about trends, great people and awesome events. Did you hear about the Toliman mission lately? This is one mission that is really pushing the boundaries of our knowledge of the universe. But it's also one more great achievement for Endurosat in Sofia, Bulgaria. I will talk with Viktor Danche, the Chief Technical Officer of Endurosat, about this mission, the upcoming projects, about Constellation as a Service and the next edition of Space Challenges. I'm ready to kick it off. You too? I'm Torsten, publisher of Spacewatch.Global. Enjoy this conversation. Thank you very much for your time, Victor. I imagine it's getting very busy on your end these days. On 15th of March, you've wrote history with a new mission, Toliman. Tell us a bit about that. Toliman is a really a first as a mission because it aims to do on a CubeSat very high precision astrometry, which so far has only been attempted on much larger types of satellites. And uh, it's really unique because of a payload that allows it to get beyond state-of-the-art in terms of pointing stability and really registering very, very small deviations in an orbit of an exoplanet. Where does this name come from? Toliman is actually the Arabic name of one of the stars in the system. It's a triplet system. Two of the stars are very close and one of them is carrying this name. I see. You say from a CubeSat. How big is this CubeSat? Tell us more about it. Tell us all the dirty details about it. So we are flying a 16U, which is going to be approximately 20, 24 kilograms at launch. And the telescope is, uh, is taking most part of the satellite. I would say that dirty details are really in the AOCS system, in the attitude to determination and control, because the stability required to do this, and the observation time required to do this is very, very high. But the main innovation I'd like to jump to is that of Sydney University, And of course, the breakthrough initiatives, which is related to the actual telescope, because this telescope has some very special properties and it will allow them, even with, let's say, even with the very high demand on pointing that we are going to achieve, it will allow them to get much closer and much more refined in terms of the end result that they're going to get. What is the result you try to achieve from this mission? It's a very small wobble or change, essentially, between the two stars that we're going to be observing in the single system, which are relatively close. And this small wobble, this small change in the diffraction, which we're going to obtain from looking at them, is going to indicate the motion of a planet around them. So essentially, we are trying to look for very small gravitational disturbance of a planet, which is going to be detected and figure out its orbit from observations of the stars. What is the breakthrough in this mission? What is different from others? And you're flying it on a LEO course or are you going higher into the universe? Yeah, the satellite is on a LEO in a LEO orbit. In fact, the whole point of the satellite is to show that really breakthrough science can be done with something affordable. It's definitely nothing like the James Webb telescope. We cannot compare any CubeSat to the James Webb telescope. But the benefit is that no one would ever allow the James Webb telescope to observe Alpha Centauri for uh, literally days at a time because it's much more useful observing the deep reaches of the universe. So actually, the purpose of this telescope is to focus on one target or a very small set of targets and observe them long term with very high accuracy 
so that we can determine the orbits of planets around them. And the real innovation, again, I'm going to give a shout out to Petothil and Sydney University team, because what they have achieved in terms of an optical instrument is incredible. And the final accuracy of the measurements is going to come from them. Will the data be made available freely or just staying with the Sydney University? What is planned on that front? Our partners from Sydney and Breakthrough have a real mission forward for discovering life in the universe. So I'm quite sure that they will make the data available in due time. So that's great to hear. If I'm right, there are also other firsts that coming up on your end soon. Can you talk about them a bit? Yeah, in fact, we have several interesting missions coming up. Now in April, we have two satellites flying up on the next transporter mission, Transporter 7. And one of them is, is an IoT mission, which we're very happy to support. It's uh, our first IoT mission, and it, it has very demanding requirements in terms of power and in terms of duty cycle. And the other one is the first uh, Kenyan Earth Observation mission that we are supporting, Typha 1, which we're quite happy to have had the pleasure of supporting a, a very ambitious company in preparing. It's interesting to see that you, based out of Bulgaria, which is not a spacefaring nation in large scale, that you were able to go into this kind of partnership with Kenya. I think that's a great sign. So this is on one side, I would say a negative that we, Bulgaria does not have a large space program. On the other side, it was a positive for us because from day one, we had to turn to the market and we had to essentially be very commercially oriented. So this is something that to this day, we don't rely on grants or programs to really sustain ourselves. And it's something that we are quite proud of. But I think that the reason why we were chosen and why we have been working so well with a lot of companies from emerging space nations is because we have gone through the same process. We launched the first LEO satellite in Bulgaria. We have launched quite a few more since then. And they can see that we can give them the learning process and they can see that what we've been through is something that they would also benefit a lot from learning. So this is also a big differentiator there. When you talked about an IoT satellite, I thought, hmm, IoT as a single satellite, does that make sense? Question mark, question mark. Usually IoT satellites come as a constellation, if I'm correct. How do you see the future in that area? So from our side, we are already working with several customers who have been using our systems for IoT constellations. In some cases, as some of the listeners may be aware, we started with subsystems provision and with individual radios, modules, and so on. So we have already had some flat heritage on constellation missions like this. Already, we have started providing constellation as a service. So we are in several advanced discussions to actually provide the entire satellite bus and the operations of such constellations. And I think that I've seen very interesting concepts, very interesting architectures of how this is done. Some of them focused on agriculture, maritime. Some of them focused on, I would say, a lot more niche markets that I would not go so much in detail. But I definitely see LEO constellations of this kind beneficial, even though we are getting more and more connectivity for the high-speed broadband services. I think that there is a niche there that this type of constellations can fill. Just let me recap on that. Constellation as a service means that you're going to the market and offer the complete satellite without the payload and your customer comes with a dedicated payload or is even looking for just the data solution for a specific target. Is that correct? 
Yes, and not only the satellite itself, but also the entire value chain. So the launch uh, goes through us, the operations can go through us. So this is what I mean by Constellation of the Service, really providing an infrastructure where we do the integration of the payload. We prepare the satellite, we must produce, of course, depending on the size of this constellation, and we even take care of the operations after so that the customer can only focus on operating their payloads. It's an interesting concept, and good luck with that in the future. When talking about constellation, we have also to talk about sustainability, behaviors in space and space debris, because it's very close to our heart at Space Watch Global. What does it mean for you, for your business, or what is your approach here on that? We're actually very serious about space sustainability. We have recently joined an initiative by EPFL on space sustainability rating. In fact, I'm proud to say that we got the gold rating for our Platform One, which was the first commercial shared set that we launched about a year ago. Are you talking about the SSR, the Space Sustainability Rating? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Oh, yes. cool. So on our side, several topics that we take into account is, of course, we perform worst case analyses that even in case of premature failure, even in case of any malfunctions, we would always respect the rules in terms of maximum lifetime deorbiting. We also use several systems nowadays uh, that We're, we're evaluating for collision avoidance uh, automation because we are a really, really automated uh, company. So all of our mission control is scriptable. We operate the satellite via scripts, also onboard scripts and ground scripts. So we can schedule for days ahead what's going on. And our vision really is what something that we're really pushing forward hard this year is to be able to provide the same thing also for maneuvering through some partners so that any kind of collision avoidance can be handled in the same way. And of course, one of the most important contributions that I believe we've done to the space sustainability is related to using as little as possible satellites for as many as possible payloads. As you may be aware, the satellites that we launch in many cases are shared among multiple customers. So from our point of view, this is the ultimate way of reducing space pollution by not launching uh, too many pieces of hardware. And Even the constellation type of missions in some cases can be combined in a very nice way that really accommodates multiple payloads on the same bus. So this for us is a paradigm view that really should try to minimize the number of satellites, increasing the number of payloads, making them as efficient as possible. Great you're here. Talking about our future, two years back, I had the great opportunity to participate in your space challenge in the beautiful Bulgarian mountains. Will we see a new edition this year? And what can we expect? Yeah, so we are continuing Space Challenges. In fact, Endurosat emerged from Space Challenges. Endurosat is a spin-off of this educational program, which may not be known to most people. It will continue in the same way as before. We try to improve it every year with small tweaks here and there. We always experiment. It's going to be a boot camp in the mountains. So for five weeks, students will have the chance to work on actual spaceport types, Every year we define several different projects that they compete on. And of course, it's very, very hardware centric. It's very, very software centric. We try to put them in a position where they actually apply their academic knowledge and get to see how a real project is conducted with all of its benefits and I would say negatives in terms of learning about real supply chain, actually experiencing delays and I would say last minute <laughs> rush. So all of this they would experience also this year. And as every year, of course, we invite tens of experts from the space sector. And uh, this year will not be an exception, of course. We hope to host 20 to 30 people joining us from several companies and agencies. What is your own experience with the space challenges? Actually, I started 
my career through space challenges. In fact, I participated in space challenges in 2014, which was Honestly, one year before. Yes. As a student. As a student, yes. And it was one year before Endurosat even existed. So when I was participating in space challenges, it was just a local NGO that there was no company backing it up. It was a lot of effort on our founder and CEO to really support such a program. And Space Challenges is the way that actually a lot of the founders of Endurosat got in touch because most of them, in fact, all founders of the company originally, all five founders were part of Space Challenges. Our own educational program basically created the environment in which the company was founded. And it's, it's been going on for about 13 years already. This is going to be the 13th edition. So it's much older even than the, than the company because the company is only eight years old. Wow, that's a story to tell, definitely. How can interested parties apply or even support you if their support needed? Applications are open on the Space Challenges website, spaceedu.net. You can register. The program is completely free for those we choose. Maybe as a constraint, you should keep in mind that the age limitations are between 16 to 27 years old. So we really try to boost young entrepreneurs, young enthusiasts and engineers to develop their skills. But anyone can apply. Last year, we had 13 nationalities in the program. And of course, if we choose you and you would go through an interview process, if we choose you, you would be able to visit us in the mountains of Bulgaria and to really experience boot camp. Um, I would say like nothing else you've had before. And this is also one way that we, but also I would say also some other companies find talent and really see the merit in some young people, because it's one thing to do an internship It's another thing to really see a person participating in a much more challenging team effort. And you know, in my example, I started from Space Challenge 2014 and now I'm a CTO at Endurosat. So I would say it's a very good opener for the space sector. Of course, we expect you to have the relevant background. So my background is physics. We expect people in the program to start from physics, math, programming and different areas. But it does not even have to be space per se. It just needs to be engineering oriented. We take care of really training you to the space part. So no lawyers? No, that's a, it's, it's a fun fact that actually we also have a very commercial aspect. The whole program is done, I would say, as an accelerator. So the teams, the way that we structure them, every team has different expertise. There's also commercial expertise. And in the end, we don't just expect the teams to produce a prototype. We expect them to also present it, to pitch it. Even business relevant people are there and law relevant people are there. In fact, last year, the projects involved building a ground station and receiving telemetry from one of our satellites, as well as running machine learning code on one of our satellites. So there was several very interesting topics. And for some of those, they had to know IT regulations. They had to know how you install and, and operate the ground station. That's fantastic. The question again, can industry support you? Are you open to that? Can people that listen to our podcast here call you and say, hey, we would like to be part of it? Yeah, of course. If you see merit in what we are doing, if you think that it's useful also for your company and you're interested to support education, Endurosat currently is the prime and, and only sponsor of Space Challenges. But of course, we are quite open to partnerships. So you can connect to us and we can discuss. Victor, thank you very much for your time and good luck for the next very important steps. And we will follow you. Thank you. Thank you. If you have further questions, reach out to us at radio at spacewatch.global If you like these or other episodes of Space Cafe Radio, leave us a rating on your preferred podcast platform. It is the currency of today. And if you want to stay on the pulse of the space industry, please visit our website at www.spacewatch.global and subscribe 
to our newsletters. And of course, don't forget to become a Space Watcher. I'm Thorsten Kreening, publisher at spacewatch.global, your independent perspective on space. Thank you.